Hello, hello. It is Wednesday and you've got Julie and Megan with you today. We're so excited as usual. I don't feel like we're ever not excited to be recording. We're kind uh, of a happy, happy couple of people. We are. <laughs> and it's so fun to get to know all these people from all over the world. And today we have our friend Gretchen and she is going to share her story. She's actually from Georgia. Is that correct, Gretchen? Yes, Marietta, okay. which is a suburb of Atlanta. Yes. So she is, is going to share her story with us today, but I kind of want to tell you a little bit about her. So she is, she calls herself an old mom. I don't think she's <laughs> old. <laughs> I do not think she's um, old. We're the same age, Gretchen, <laughs> and I also feel old. Okay. <laughs> no, you guys are not old. Um, but anyway, so she's got two boys and one is two months and one is two years and she's actually a licensed professional counselor, but has of course been wanting to be mom. So she's been taking some time off. So we're excited to hear her story. And if you guys have not seen this amazing picture of hers, please go to Instagram right now, the VBAC link and check it out. It is so awesome. It gives me the chills. So yeah, go check it out and let us know how it makes you feel. I'm sure, I, I don't know, I think the raw, the raw photos like after birth or right as birth happens mm -hmm. is, ah, oh, it's just so amazing. A lot of people are like, oh, like I was so ugly crying. Like, and when I say that, like, that's me. I said that. I was I like, I'm such an ugly cry. Like, <laughs> I love it. Like, I love so it because beautiful. it's so true and raw and it just it gives you the feeling of what that moment felt like, right? And mm -hmm. so I just, this is definitely one of those images that I, I just feel it. But Julie has a review of the week, of course. So we want to pass the time over to her and then we will get into Gretchen's awesome story. Yeah, we've been reading a lot of reviews from Apple Podcasts lately. And so I'm going to take it back to Google this week. And if you don't know... Because most podcast apps don't allow you to like write a review, but except for Apple Podcasts. So if you don't have Apple Podcasts, go and Google the VBAC link. Our business will pop up right there and you can leave a review on Google for us. And that's pretty awesome because when those reviews come in, it really makes our day. It brings a smile to our face and it helps us push through the screaming children and the hot chocolate all over our counters and the little pieces of cut up paper on the floor and the Parmesan cheese mixed with cocoa pebbles thrown yeah. all over the couch. I mean, that hypothetically here. at my house. That happens to happen. <laughs> Julie's kids, I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know I if they're know. smart or... <laughs> If they're like super problem solvers and just figure out how to get what they want or if they just – Oh, my gosh. Um, Every time you send me a picture, I'm like, holy cow. Like, oh whoa. <laughs> um, I, they're My kids are not well-trained. That's no, probably – uh, <laughs> They're good. I mean, like my two – I mean, okay. So my youngest, when he was 20 months old, when I was pregnant with my VBAC baby, he figured out how to move a chair over to the countertop climb on the chair, climb on the countertop, and climb up on top of the fridge to get the Halloween candy down. Mm. He wasn't even yeah. two yet. And yeah. now my two-year-old, now my current two-year-old's climbing up on the fridge. Anyways, holy cow, that was a big digression. You guys, it's been a rough day at my house. Let's just, uh, let's just get on to the warm and fuzzies, shall we? Let's All right, it. this is from Haley Kilpack on Google. 
And she says, the VBAC link made a world of difference for me in achieving my successful VBAC. Because of the VBAC link, I was able to arm myself and feel completely confident in my choices for my birth. I was able to determine that my hospital midwife was only VBAC tolerant and made the switch around 28 weeks to a VBAC supportive midwife at a birth center. I listened to every single episode as I prepared for the birth of my second baby after a very traumatic first hospital birth. With the knowledge I gained and the support I felt, I was able to achieve my unmedicated VBAC water birth just over one month ago. Thank you, Megan and Julie, for supporting, caring, and providing us the information and tools to have a successful VBAC. I now feel like the woman of strength that I am, and I knew I always could be. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> I love that so much. Thank you, Haley Kilpack, for giving us some warm and fuzzies to get us through the terrorist childhood days. <laughs> Mine. <laughs> Megan's are obviously angels. <laughs> Mine are definitely not angels. But, man, <laughs> I don't have cocoa, all over, cocoa powder all over my house. Yeah, that was awesome. It was a good day. I need to lock the pantry. We have a lock on our pantry and our fridge for these reasons. But sometimes we leave them unlocked and it's like a spidey sense. Like they just know. They just know when the pantry's unlocked. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. This episode is brought to you by Nourisher. Formerly known as Milkful Nursing Bars, the company is rebranded and expanded to bring you new bars, new flavors to meet all of your needs throughout the motherhood journey. Nourisher products are made to nourish her. Each of the products are super nutrient dense while still being very tasty snack that moms can look forward to. Their delicious flavors include blueberry coconut, chocolate banana, maple walnut, papaya turmeric, spirulina ginger, and strawberry rose hip. Let's talk about flavor. My favorite guys, strawberry rose hip, hands down. Not only are these bars delicious and tasty, but they have amazing benefits for both you and your baby in the pre and postnatal stages. They increase your energy. They support tissue repair and brain building. They improve gut health with fiber, probiotics, and healthy fats. They give you a nutritional lift from sprouted grains and seeds that provide essential nutrients. They are packed with superfoods like turmeric, spirulina, and rosehip to support a healthy immune system and reduce inflammation throughout the pregnancy and postpartum stages. Go ahead and give Nourisher a try. That's N-O-U-R-I-S-H-E-R, Nourisher. You can get right to them by clicking the link in our show notes or going to the vbacklink.com slash go slash Nourisher. That's the vbacklink.com slash G-O slash N-O-U-R-I-S-H-E-R. Give them a try. You will not regret it. Okay, Miss Gretchen, we're going to turn the time over to you. We don't want to take any more of your time rambling because we tend to do that. We <laughs> just have so much fun. And um, yeah, so let's hear your awesome story. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. Oh. Okay. Well, first, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I listened to the VBAC link 
I drive 40 minutes to my chiropractor throughout my pregnancy and I listen to the VBAC link every time I went every week. So this was an instrumental part in my pregnancy. So I'm really excited to be here. I guess I'll start with my C-section baby, my first baby and what that kind of journey. My husband and I got married in 2013 and in 2015, we decided we wanted to start a family and I stopped the birth control pill and um, I didn't get a period. And so we were kind of puzzled and scratching our heads as to what was going on. And after a thorough workup by several doctors, I I was very into athletics at the time. I was running marathons and I was doing fitness competitions. And it was concluded that I had something called hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is basically the absence of a menstrual cycle due to an energy imbalance. Or you know how you hear gymnasts don't have their menstrual cycles, things like that. Runners, gymnasts. Mm -hmm. So um, to make a long story short, it was a two-year process to get me to respond to an ovulation induction medication and also involved kind of the opposite of what you hear in most modern medicine advice, which is to lose weight and move more. My treatment was to move less and gain weight, which is kind of a, oh. you know, it was a very interesting kind of odd place to be when you're trying to conceive. And you, you know, you always think the more active I am, the healthier I am. And in my case, that was not the, that was not true. Um, my hormones were absolutely a wreck. I had postmenopausal estrogen levels. It was really unhealthy, but I had no clue because I was on the pill for so long. But so we took a good two-year period to get my body in a healthy place and responding to an ovulation induction medication. And I should also mention, we, we had also tried an injectable cycle with a reproductive endocrinologist, but it kind of became apparent that until I was really healthy, I wasn't going to respond to medication. And I really wanted to, to get well, you know, before I was pregnant anyway. So that, that was a really, really painful time. And I think the biggest piece of that that I really want to touch on was I've always battled anxiety and I was always on um, an SSRI to manage that anxiety. And I decided to stop that when I, want, when I decided to get pregnant. So that was a really challenging time because I, I didn't have the therapeutic benefit of medication, which had always helped me. Then I had the infertility. And so it was, it was really challenging two years. And so this was kind of a Hail Mary pass to try this medicine. And on the second cycle, I peed on that stick and there were two lines. And we, we just couldn't believe it. We were over the moon thrilled. So that was 2017 we got pregnant. And um, everything was fine with that pregnancy. It was pretty uneventful up until um, our anatomy scan. And at our anatomy scan, it was discovered that my son had a kidney abnormality. And if you can imagine going from two years of infertility to everything being fine to then like this gut punch at your anatomy scan that something is wrong. You know, it was really, really scary and really hard. And so we were referred to uh, the high-risk doctor. And my son is fine. So, you know, looking back now, I'm grateful for the care that I got, but it's terrifying. You're a first-time mom. Pregnancy is scary in and of itself. I'm anxious as I'll get out, and now I have this baby with a problem that I don't know anything about. It it was a really hard pregnancy. So um, I think I had a total of nine ultrasounds, which that's a lot of ultrasounds. (laughs) So it was like hyper-monitoring of this baby. And so every time I'd go to the doctor, my husband would come to the appointments, and it was like on pins and needles, is he okay? And and looking back, I, I probably was overly concerned, but I also had no basis of reference. It was just really scary. So the whole pregnancy was just very stressful. And so I got to 39 weeks on the button, um, and my water broke at home. And you always imagine your water breaking like the movies. It's to- for me, it was not like that. It was a little trickle. <laughs> and so I called the, the doctors, the OB, and they said, we'll go to the hospital. And I was having no contraction, so nothing that I mean, I felt nothing. I just knew that, and oh, I should mention, I was supposed to be induced three days later. Due to his kidney, they wanted to 
induce me. Looking back now, I, I realize that was probably not the, I, I wish I wouldn't have agreed to that, but it didn't matter because my water broke at 39 anyway. But I get into triage and they check me in and it was kind of like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, which led to the C-section. I had um, a hospitalist come in and check me. I wasn't, I think I was dilated to a two, but you know, the doctors that are just cold, I don't even think the man introduced himself before he was giving mm. me a cervical exam. There's and no I was, bedside manner. None, none. I was, and I was so scared, you know, I was just so scared anyway. I was so hypervigilant. I, I had no clue what was going on. It was, it was really scary. So I get in there and I'm not dilated, but they, they got me on the monitor and Next thing I know, I, I started to feel lightheaded. And I told my husband, I said, go get the nurse. And he said, well, I don't know where she went. I said, go find her. And I started seeing stars and my blood pressure tanked. I, I had a vasovagal syncope. And I think it was a combination of the anxiety, the situation, the broken water, because I knew enough to know that you're kind of on a clock when your water breaks. And I think I, I felt like everyone was kind of just really over monitoring me anyway, which made me more stressed, which was the last thing I needed. So I ended up having my blood pressure got really low. And so the monitors went off and then the baby's heart rate got down to like 60 or 70. I can't remember, but enough that the monitors were going, really going off. And next thing I know, there's like four nurses in the room and they're rolling me to get blood flow back to the placenta. And it was really alarming. And it it happened again. And um, my my OB was Paige. So she was able to come in and she said, what do you want to do? Do you want to do a C-section or do you want to try and labor? And at that point, I wasn't really thinking clearly because I had just had these two episodes of syncope and I my dad's a retired physician and I called him he was in I was in Florida at the time and he was in California and so it was 4 a.m for him and I called I said what do I do and he said get that baby out and and I don't regret that decision because my son's heart rate was it was very alarming Um, and I think with everything that had gone on it was it was the right decision to have the c-section but when they when he was delivered you know I I couldn't hold him. There was no skin to skin. He was taken right away. And it was just the most helpless feeling being on that table. It was nothing I had imagined. It was kind of just, um, I was thrilled he was born, but I felt really sad and detached in that moment. And it was just not the birth that I had always envisioned. So um, he's amazing. I have a wonderful, beautiful two-year-old little boy, but it was, it was a really hard two years to get pregnant. And it was a really hard nine months being pregnant. And it was a really hard delivery. So that being said, um, we knew we wanted kids kind of close together. The good news was my menstrual cycle returned after I weaned him, which was really cool. So my body had like finally healed. I had this baby and I was menstruating normally and it was a really great feeling. Yeah. My cycles were still irregular. So I still use an ovulation induction medicine to conceive my VBAC baby, but for a different reason, just because my husband travels. And when you're trying to get pregnant with a partner that's not here, it's hard to time things. But we had moved to Atlanta. So we moved from Tampa, Florida to Atlanta when my son was right around a year and we decided to start trying when he was 13 or 14 months and it took us like two cycles. It was pretty quick again. And I think in my head it would take longer because it took us, we had such trouble the first time and I'm like, Oh, we'll have a good three year gap. And it wasn't, it was like right away. And so we got pregnant and it was really exciting. And um, it was again, pretty uneventful, but I want to mention too that, you know, I never, I, I did a lot of work on my anxiety and my birth trauma prior to getting pregnant. I worked with a therapist weekly. Um, you know, being a clinician myself, I recognized the importance of doing that. And I was really diligent about kind of trying to heal before getting pregnant again. And I knew when I got pregnant again that I wanted to try to have a vaginal birth, but I was concerned my anxiety would hold me back from that just because it had been such a hindrance on things in the past. So I got pregnant and I had found a good OB 
the summer before we conceived. And I liked her a lot. I felt like she listened to me. I felt a lot more heard than I ever had um, at the Florida practice. She was young. Um, and I felt she was pretty up to date on things. And she was very open to VBAC, which surprised me, especially from hearing all of your podcasts about Georgia providers. She was very open to it. She's like, of course, what, you know, which really shocked me. I wonder um, if you had the same one as Grace Allen. <laughs> because I I've only ever heard of one VBAC supported provider in, in Atlanta. And not only was she supportive, but she was encouraging because yeah, there were times yeah. I had, I had come in and I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. And she goes, no, you're going to see what your body can do. She was super encouraging. And she was almost, she was laid back, but in a good way, if that makes sense. She was laid yeah. back to the point that it put, it made me laid back, which helped mm -hmm. me not be good. so terrified all the time. Um, mm -hmm. And she even said, she goes, Gretchen, when I was in residency, we had women who had two C-sections feedbacking. You're fine. I mean, she was really so supportive. It was amazing. So she had put that in my chart right away when I came in that she, I wanted to be back, which I felt really great about because I felt like I really had a good person supporting me. I had a pretty uneventful pregnancy up until the pandemic, which hit, I'm like, really? The first baby I had this kidney issue and now there's a pandemic, but I'm like, I'll have a story to tell these boys <laughs> one day. Um, if you only knew the times that were happening, you know, exactly. things that were happening. Right. And so... You know, and I remember I, I went to see my parents in California in February, and I remember this coronavirus being all over China in February and, and thinking, oh, well, it's over in China. It will be okay. And then I get home and it was like everywhere. It was really alarming. And, you know, I, I was working with my therapist and at that time they didn't have any data on COVID in, in pregnant women. And the data that they did have was very limited. It was only that one China study. I don't know if you remember back in the spring, it was on like, I think 19 women in China and they had yeah. all C-sections. <laughs> So it was really limited amount of data. And my, my therapist, I, I was still seeing via telehealth from Florida, and he was really up to date, and he was continuing to provide me research on, on the data and really trying to put my mind at ease. But when COVID hit, I increased my therapy to about twice a week, which I think also really helped. And I, I think I, that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this was pregnancy makes my anxiety heightened anyway, and then you add a pandemic on top of it. It, it was a lot of work to just make to manage it, you know, and, I, and it is work because it's a condition that I, I couldn't use therapeutic medication for. So I had to do extra talk therapy to keep myself healthy. And I did that I, to the best of my ability, but it was really alarming and it was scary because it was so unknown. So, you know, we did grocery pickup. We didn't really go anywhere. My husband worked from home, which was lucky we could do that, but um, it, it was a challenging time because it, it was just so unknown. And at that point, I don't know if you remember too, or I didn't know if I would have to give birth alone, which the thought of that was daunting because at that time they were pulling partners out of delivery rooms. Do you remember that back in, I think it was March when it started? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. April, April and like New York and things yep. like that. So yeah. I was, I'm, I was told my husband, I said, what do we do if I'm by myself? And he just said one foot in front of the other, we'll figure it out. And, and, and I, I did, I did know from the beginning, I, I did not feel comfortable with the home birth, not because I didn't think I could do it, but because I thought I was too anxious. And I, I, for me, I wanted fetal monitoring. I know some women, the monitor makes them feel worse. And for me, I said, if I have any prayer at a VBAC, I want a monitor because it made, it made me feel more secure. So I said a hospital setting for me was going to be part of my birth plan. So I said, well, well, we'll just keep going and hope for the best. So I had had a friend that had delivered in April and she had a really good experience at the hospital I had delivered at. And at that point, her husband was there and, and she, there weren't, I don't even think she had to wear a mask. So I, I was kind of feeling positive about, about the experience that I could have there because I had heard nothing but good things about this hospital. And everything was kind of moving along smoothly. And then I had 
talked to a friend of mine from Tampa who was a NICU nurse. And I think I was maybe 35 weeks at this point. And she had told me how she elected for her first baby was breech and she had elected for a repeat C-section. Um, and she told me some scary things about uterine rupture. And, um, and I understand why that's her experience, but it really scared me. And I, I felt like I should just back out and I should have a C-section because there's no way I could do this. And, I, and not because I didn't think my body could do it, but because I thought my anxiety would hold me back. And I reached out to Julie and she really helped me through that. And I realized it was really that mental hurdle of getting over that because I was just scouring the internet on uterine rupture. And then I listened to your podcast on statistics on uterine rupture, which really helped putting it in perspective. I think it was you, Megan, that gave all the statistics about it, right? And looking at what, you know, date, you're more likely to date a millionaire than have a rupture. Was that what the That's statistic totally was? That's totally Julie. I probably did read it, but that was totally Julie that Okay, that Julie, maybe Julie, you had read it, but. She's the statistic. Statistic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, that really helped to put in perspective, like, what are my true risks? And then also looking at what are the risks of cesarean? Because no one had ever told me a risk of cesarean. In fact, every doctor mm -hmm. I talked to prior to my current provider. Only probably talked about the risks of VBAC. Well, they made, they made cesarean seem really safe. No uh, one had ever told me that, that it made Yes. Safe. Oh, my gosh. Yes, they make cesarean seem really safe. I, I don't think I've ever heard it said that way before. But, no, that's what they do. They do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, I, yeah. It, it kind of was baffling to me. So I kind of was really, once I got closer to the, the time of my delivery, I felt like this little tug of war in my head. Up until that third trimester, I was like, I'm going to be back. This is going to be great. And as soon as that third trimester hit, the anxiety really kicked in. And I, I was just, every other day, I felt like I was going back and forth. But my therapist really was advocating for me to be back. And he put it in perspective. He said, this is, you know, you're not going to have he knew my, how many children I wanted. And he said, this is your chance. If you want to do this, this is the time to do it and really put it in perspective for me, which was so helpful. And then I talked to Julie, which was so helpful. So it was like, I continued to arm myself with people and information to help encourage me to keep going. So I worked with my husband to come up with a plan of where our two-year-old was going to go when we delivered, because our original plan was to have my parents come be with us, but they could no longer come because my, of my parents are high risk and couldn't travel. And so my mother-in-law ended up getting COVID tested and driving from Pennsylvania to Georgia in one day to, to, <laughs> to come oh, take care of my two-year-old. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty wonderful because of everything going on. So she was able to come and she kind of stayed the last half of July. I was due July 20th. And so she came the 15th through the 1st and figured I'd deliver at some point in that time frame. So she came and I honestly thought that I would go, I would go into labor before 39 just because I did with my son and I heard second babies came sooner, which is not true, by the way. As I'm I sure feel you, guys you on know. that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I was, I was 39 and five and my doctor had asked me, she'd offered me to strip my membranes early, I think at 38. And I said, no. And then when I went in at 39, I was dilated to a three I think it was a two or three. I can't remember. And at that point, I was okay with it. I, you know, when you're just so done being pregnant, I was so, I didn't feel good. I was exhausted. I, it was so much harder than the first time because I was chasing my two-year-old around. And I said, that was fine. I was okay with that. And I know that's a controversial intervention, but I was just, I felt comfortable with her. And I said, that's fine. So she stripped my membranes on Friday. I came back on Monday. And at Monday, I was dilated to a four. And I think then she stripped me and I was a five when I left there or something like that, which was pretty good. So I was walking around in a three or a four for a few weeks, which I was pretty happy with. So on Wednesday morning, I woke up 
and I had never had true contractions with my son. So I, I asked my doctor, well, I know what these feel like. And she said, or, well, I know it's a contraction. She said, don't worry, you won't miss it. You'll, you'll know. So I woke up and I knew I was having contractions, but they were very irregular. And this was like at five in the morning. Um, and then they would go away and come back. And I thought I was having prodromal labor because they were so sporadic. Um, and so my mother-in-law and I went for a two-mile walk in the morning. My husband had to go down to his office, so he wasn't around. And we walked. And at that point, I started keeping track of them because they were becoming regular. And I, when I say regular, I mean like every 15 minutes. But they were consistently every 15 minutes. And then I'd have one maybe 20 minutes, and they'd bounce back to 15. But they were pretty even. And I still thought, okay, well, they're even, but they didn't really hurt. I was fine, and I didn't think anything of it, really. But then very quickly, things changed. So by 3 or 4 p.m., they were about eight minutes apart, pretty consistently. Um, and by 5 p.m., we were eating dinner, and they were f seven minutes apart. And we have a 40-minute drive to the hospital. So seven minutes apart. So then I think as dinner was wrapping up, they were about five minutes apart. And my mother-in-law said, you should probably at least call your doctor. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm fine. It's fine. Because I, I wanted to stay at home as long as possible. And I, I didn't want intervention. I wanted to just avoid it as long as I could. Finally, she convinced me. So I called the, the on-call midwife for my, my doctor. And she told me I was in early active labor. But she said, just come in because the hospital was very busy. So I took a shower. My husband, I think, was a little more anxious than I was to, to get in. But I'm taking my sweet time, and I'm really, you know, having to breathe through them. They're, now they're getting a little more intense, and I'm thinking this was probably a good idea to, to head in. Oh, and my mother-in-law was really cute. She put a towel down in the car, thinking my water was going to break, and I was not concerned about that at all. But she was very thoughtful to put a towel down on my seat. So we, <laughs> we drove into the hospital, and um, I delivered at the biggest hospital in the country for labor and delivery. It's, it's just like a whole, they call it the baby factory because it's the whole floor, or I'm sorry, a whole building dedicated to labor and delivery. Wow. Yeah, it's That's, insane. That's intense. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. So I get in and I see like literally nine other women in this waiting room in labor. And I'm like, okay. And, and I'm a little overwhelmed with that. But I check in and I heard the triage woman make a comment about being out of beds. And I, I, didn't, I thought she meant after me they were out of beds. I didn't think she meant they were currently out of beds. So I go back to the waiting room, and I have everyone's in masks. They're disinfecting everything. I don't even love being in hospitals, well, really at all, but especially in the pandemic, it's alarming because, you know, there's germs, and I didn't want to be there, but this baby was coming. So I'm thinking, it was about 8 p.m. at that point, and I'm thinking, oh, I'll get into my room quickly. Well, 9 o'clock rolls around, and now these contractions are, I'm uncomfortable and I'm leaning against this pillar in this waiting room, like breathing through them. And I told my husband, I go, I, I got to get in there. What are they, what's going on? And the administration woman that was checking me in, I, I went up and asked her what's going on. She goes, we just don't have any beds. And I said, what, what do you mean you don't have any beds? I got to, <laughs> I have to have this baby. And so I ended up calling the midwife back and she said, hang out, you know, as soon as the bed opens, we'll get you in a room. So a nurse came out and she said, are you the woman that had the previous C-section? I said, yeah. She goes, okay, well, we're, they were kind of, I think, jumping me to the front of the line because I think I took, in their mind, I took priority over previous huh. vaginal births, which I thought was nice. That's interesting. Probably because they wanted you on a monitor or what? Yeah. Or were I you already, what I'm thinking. Were you not on a monitor in triage though? No, I was literally in a waiting room. It was just like all- just all in like, a waiting room. Yeah. Yeah. So I get into the room and um, I get on a monitor and I remember feeling really panicky at this point and just scared. I could feel the anxiety creeping back in and 
and this nurse was so wonderful. She came up to me and, and she put her hand on my, I, my wrist and she said, you're going to be okay. I'm watching your baby and you got to let us take care of you. And I just felt like, okay, I'm going to be okay. These nurses care. And they were so, it felt so different than the first time. I really felt like they were going to, it was going to be okay. And so I knew I wanted an epidural because I, I was concerned about having the syncope again, which I knew would lead me to C-section again. So for me, I figured if I got the epidural, I wouldn't have the syncope. Um, and so the midwife came in and asked me when I wanted it. And she said, you know, if you wait too long, you might not get it. And so I said, okay. And so I'm glad I agreed when I did because it took the anesthesiologist another hour or so to even get to me. So I guess let me back up. I got into my room at 11 p.m. and I got my epidural around 2 a.m. And at that point, I was really glad for it because I was in a lot of pain at that point. And it was, I, I couldn't really rest. And they were pretty consistently three minutes apart contractions at that point. And the epidural was really nice. It, it, I didn't want so much numbness, I couldn't feel anything. And the anesthesiologist was really receptive to that. I got just enough to not feel pain, but I could still feel pressure, if that makes sense, which was nice. So I wasn't so numb. Like yeah. it wasn't anything yes. like a spinal, which was great. So I ended up taking a little bit of a rest. I couldn't sleep, but I, I did rest. And at that point when I had checked in, I was, at a, I was dilated to a six. So they came back and checked me around, I think it was around 4.30 in the morning. And the midwife on call checked me and she said I was at a seven. Um, and she said, I have other news for you. This baby's sunny side up. And I, my heart just kind of sank because I knew, not that that's, you can't deliver sunny side up, but I knew it made things a little bit more challenging. But she told me, don't be discouraged. You know, sometimes babies flip at the last minute. It's okay. But I was really, I was kind of, I was pretty discouraged at that point. And I just felt like I was destined for C-section again. And my husband said, no, don't, don't think like that. Let's just relax and hope that he flips. So they put me on a peanut ball and they switched me every, like from side to side with it between my legs every, I think it was every 30 to 40 minutes. But I was really just laying there praying that he, that he flipped. And she had also offered to break my water at seven centimeters. And I just, it didn't feel right to me. But I felt like that, you know, that feeling where you feel like they're trying to start pushing interventions that I, I got. I started to get that Got vibe. That vibe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I kind of dug my heels and I said, um, I was nice, but I, I kind of didn't say anything. And I just said, I'm not really comfortable with that. And she goes, okay, that's fine. We'll wait. And I was very, um, I was glad I did that because I think what had happened was when they gave me the epidural, the monitor fell off my belly. So she thought I was, she thought contractions had stopped. In reality, it just didn't pick them up. So when they put the monitor back on, there they were again. And I was glad I trusted myself because it was really cool to see my body doing what it knew to do without needing to quote unquote speed up my labor, which is what yeah. she was trying to do. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. So I said, no, I didn't want to do that. So she came back in at, I think it was, I think it was right before shift change, right before seven o'clock. And she checked me again and I was at an eight. And at this point she said, at that point I was okay. I don't know why. I just went with my gut. You know, she said, can I break your water now? I said, yeah, that's fine. And she did. And everything still kept moving along. Okay. And next thing I knew, I, I continued to take a little bit of a rest. And I, at around 9.30, next thing I knew, I felt the urge to go to the bathroom, the urge to poop. And I said, told my husband, I said, something's happening. And at this point, I went from feeling nothing to feeling everything very quickly. And I, I did not expect this with an epidural. I went from like feeling peaceful, bliss, resting to something majorly is happening. This baby's coming. And I said, you need to go get somebody because they had all left the room. All the, you know, I hadn't had nurses in there and really since that last seven o'clock, you know, time. And he goes, well, no one's out there. I go, I don't, you got to find somebody. This baby's coming. Something's happening. 
And so he went out and the, this new midwife had come in and she was really, really nice. I liked her a lot. And she was, she had great bedside manner and she checked me. This is probably nine thirty, nine forty, And she said, you're at a nine and a half. And I said, okay. And she said, let's try some practice pushes. And I want to see how your cervix moves around his head. I said, okay. She goes, oh, this is moving nicely. And by the way, he flipped. I was thrilled. I was so happy he had turned on his own. And so she said, I'm going to get the room set up, but I have to go deliver another baby. I'll be right back. I go, what do you mean you're leaving? Like you can't leave. So she goes, just hang on. I'll be right back. So she literally left the room and that's, and, and I'm laying there like feeling like this baby's coming out. You know, it was really stressful, but she said, just hold on. I go, how do you hold on? But she, she left and she popped back in probably 20 minutes later, which was a very long 20 minutes when I was feeling everything at this point. And now I was almost overwhelmed with the pain. You know, when pain, it wasn't the pain itself. It was that it went from zero to a hundred so fast. And I asked, yes. For more yes, it was so overwhelming. And I asked for more epidural and they said, well, we can get it, but it's probably too late you know, because I was too far along and where it was in my back, they just said, this is what this is. And at this point, it, you know, when you get the wind knocked out of you, that was the kind of pain because it went from peaceful to excruciating. And the midwife asked my husband, you know, how involved do you want to be? Do you want to be at her head or at her feet? And he said a little bit of both. <laughs> and so she said, well, do you want to see your son's head? Because he was descending. And my husband said, his head's right there. I can see it. And so every contraction, they, I had a nurse up by my head and I had a nurse down by my feet and I had the midwife and they were really coaching me through and they were so compassionate and they were so kind. And I was in so, the most pain I've ever been in in my life. And I, I didn't think I could do it. It was so unbelievably painful. And this nurse put her hand on me and she said, I've done two of these without an epidural. You can do this. You can do this. And I was screaming. I don't even think, I don't even know what came out of my mouth. It was probably a roar. It was so painful. And the nurse got me a mirror and the next thing I I knew I saw his head. And so I just, I, you know, you just dig down deep and do what you have to do. And yes, I, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I, I pushed for 25 minutes. And the next thing I knew he was out and I was in disbelief that he came out that quickly. And it actually seemed quicker than 25 minutes, but it was, he was out and on my chest and it was this moment of bliss. Like this happened, you know, he was out and I was just sobbing. I, you know what every woman says when they feedback? I did it. I did it. I did it. <laughs> uh, it was yeah. really, it, it was the best moment. And, you know, that labor was, the pushing was really hard because I had the mask on and you can't breathe as well with a mask. And my husband would put it down over my mouth to give me ice chips between each contraction because I was so thirsty and so exhausted and sweating. And it's a lot harder when you can't breathe freely. But I had a second degree tear, which, you know, that was no walk in the park either. You know, I think I, I knew that this would be an easier recovery than a C-section or I had hoped it would be, but that was really difficult. That was really painful. And I think I tore as much as I did because I had the fetal ejection reflex. Like he didn't come out head and then shoulders. He came out in one contraction. So like every, my husband said that the midwife wasn't ready for him with how fast he flew out and he was eight, three. So that's, you know, not, that's not small, but that's, you know, my first son was seven, four. So, you know, I asked her how many stitches I needed and she said, I'm not counting, which that was enough said. I said, okay, great. <laughs> but um, it was so worth it. And it was such a much better recovery than my C-section. And I could lift my toddler right away and I could play with him and get down on the floor and do all the things that I probably would not have been able to do with, with a C-section. But, you know, I think the biggest part of all of this was, you know, I trusted my gut. I found a really supportive provider and I managed this anxiety condition that I've had forever, you know, and, and with circumstances that were less than ideal. And I really, you know, I, this isn't something I want to toot my own horn about, but I was really proud of myself. It was a really 
challenging time. It was a challenging pregnancy. It was stressful. And then, you know, this was a, a VBAC is, a, to me, you know, in my opinion, a little bit more stressful route than if you haven't had a previous C-section. And, and to feel accomplished, like I set my mind to do this and, and I was able to succeed was really rewarding and empowering. And I had the skin to skin time with him and just, it was like the, it was such a healing moment. And I really feel so happy and empowered that it was able to work out the way that it did. And so, yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I just couldn't have done it without this podcast, without the information that you guys provided, because it was really, it was the best moment I, of my life. It was wonderful. Aww. We're so grateful. That- and you deserve to toot your own oh, horn, girl. Yeah. Toot that horn. Everyone who ever has a baby, no matter what way, you, got, you deserve it, because it is a piece of work getting <laughs> a baby yeah. here. Yeah, it was hard. Yeah, well, I was just going to say we're so grateful that all the stories have been, like, helping you and that along the way, like, you just kept following what you needed to do and it led you to where you are today. hmm Yeah, I just, I love that you talked about, like, oh, I don't know why I decided to do this then, but I did and it worked. And mm-hmm. that's, that's your intuition. You, mm-hmm. I think that generally – us moms don't give ourselves enough credit for the things that we do. Like, I don't know why I decided to do that, but no, like it's cause you're a dang good mom. Like that's why you decided to do it. And, mm-hmm. and I think that it just, I mean, not to say it doesn't matter how you birth. It doesn't matter how, what you do, but if you're worried about it, then, then that makes you a good mom. And mm-hmm. I think enough pressure on us to do things a certain way, especially like we're going for a VBAC, right? So we're, we're generally going against the grain. You're right. It is way more anxiety and there's so much pressure on us. I think, well, at least me, like I can totally relate because I have anxiety like 100%. And I put way more pressure on myself to do things than I think anybody ever expects of me. Yep. <laughs> and so I'm like, I had to do this. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. Like I have this, this is like a really big tangent, but I have a friend. It was a guy friend and he met a girl who didn't like that I was his best friend <laughs> and he got engaged to her. And so I kind of like, that was the end of our relationship because she thought we hugged for too long or so. Oh, no, I don't know. it was, it's really, this happened like 10 years ago and I'm still not over it because I lost my friend. And <laughs> anyways, but I was married and we were all over there for dinner one night and I was newly pregnant and she had just had a baby and I was talking about my birth plans because this was my first baby. I was still going to have a hypnobirth and go unmedicated and I had all these plans, right? And she was like, oh, good luck trying to go unmedicated because I tried with this guy and I just could not take it. And like, I was like, if there's anything that would have ever pushed me to make it unmedicated. It was that girl who stole my best friend (laughs) from me Mm -hmm. telling me that I couldn't do it. And I was like, well, now I'm like extra motivated to do it, but it ended up, I had a C-section. So that kind of gave me a nice slice of humble pie in that regard. But um, as far as putting pressure and stuff on yourself, like it's a big deal. And then you, you tell people your plans and then you're and then you don't want to look like a turd if you don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm probably, I probably don't even have to explain. If you have anxiety, you're probably like, yep, not in your head right now. You're like, you feel like you have to meet this expectation you have set for yourself or else everybody else will think mm-hmm. you're awful. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Yeah. But I think also recognizing that, you know, I think one of the things that was really helpful was knowing that I have this anxiety disorder, I've had it forever, and that's okay. And what tools do I need to help manage it throughout this pregnancy? And, and knowing that, you know, if I need therapy twice a week, that's okay. And if I need to talk to my OB and ask the same question three times, you know, that's okay too. And it's, it's okay to reach out for help, you know, and help, you know, a lot of people I think, you know, have the idea that if you, you're in therapy or if you're using extra help, that it's a weakness and it's not, it's a strength. You know, it really is. It's, it's okay to, to need support and to need help. And, and that's what I want to really transmit through my story is that anxiety is, is it's like any other medical condition and it's the way your brain's wired and it's okay. And pregnancy is hard, hard enough without that. <laughs> and it's okay to need extra help. And I think having an, the OB that I found, although she didn't deliver me, the, the midwives that worked with her, they were all so be back friendly. I could not have had the birth I had without that, without that group of women because they were so supportive of, of my desires. And it, it was funny because she called my cell phone on the morning I delivered him because I had an appointment in her office and she called me and said, I, and, and I had called to cancel it when I was in labor, but she called me and said, I go, he's here. And she goes, congratulations. She was so happy for me, which was really neat to talk to her when he was like a half an hour old, which was really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I agree with everything you said there. It's, I have Hashimoto's. And so when my Hashimoto's flares up, I have all sorts of just not very good. I just don't feel good. Right. My anxiety gets worse when I have a flare up and, but then pregnancy puts me into remission of sorts because pregnancy suppresses your immune system. Mm -hmm. And autoimmune diseases is when you're immune system is attacking your body. And if your immune system suppressed, it's kind of like a win-win because um, you get a baby and you don't have to have Hashimoto's for nine months, essentially, unless you're the, the unfortunate one where uh, it, your entire pregnancy is a flare-up. But during my pregnancies, I would actually feel really good because I had, I felt like I had less anxiety because I wasn't having these Hashimoto's attacks and, and everything was, was golden except for my third pregnancy, which was a surprise. And I was really, really just ticked off that I was pregnant. Like I was mad. And I know that like, you know, some women try forever to get pregnant and it doesn't work. And like, how, how can I feel mad about being pregnant? But I was mad. I was in the middle of postpartum depression. I was really, really struggling with two kids and, and why, why would this happen that I would be pregnant again? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I struggled big time during that pregnancy. Like one of the darkest moments of my life was during that pregnancy. And it was in that moment, well, it wasn't in that moment, but it was maybe a couple weeks after that, that I realized that this wasn't normal, that I needed some help and that if I didn't, I was going to suffer greatly and so were my children. And so I went to uh, my provider and I got on an antidepressant, uh, sertraline, it's, yes, mm -hmm. sorry, are generally considered safe during pregnancy. Nope. I call it vitamin Z because the brand name is Zoloft. So it's my yeah. vitamin yeah. Z. Still on it how, four years later because hot chocolate and <laughs> cocoa batter all over my freaking kitchen right now. But, um, <laughs> but it is a normal thing. It's okay to have that, especially right now. Oh my gosh, being pregnant during a a pandemic. Mm -hmm. I are we want to end the stigma. A, a friend of mine that's pretty dear to my heart just mentioned in passing to me recently that she had an appointment with a therapist. And 
I was so excited inside because I have been hoping that she would go see somebody for a long time because she has pretty complicated life. And I was like, yes, yes, I'm so excited that you're finally doing this. But I didn't want, but I didn't want to say it out loud because I didn't want to make it weird or awkward. You know what I mean? Again, my anxiety, overthinking it, right? But like when, when you realize that moment and that, and that value that it's going to bring into your life, it's a really, really big deal. And so we actually have a sponsor on our podcast a few, let's see, a few weeks ago, months ago, maybe. Um, it's on our resources page on the vbacklink.com slash resources. You can find a link there to better help and it's online counseling. You can get connected to a counselor in less than 24 hours and you fill out this questionnaire and they get to know everything about you and match you to a counselor that fits your needs and what's going on in your life exactly. They're amazing. And if you use promo code VBAC, you get 10% off your first month. They're really reasonably priced. And they even have financial aid if you qualify for help paying for that therapy and counseling. So betterhelp.com, um, promo code VBAC. I think it just helps make it more comfortable. You can text mm -hmm. them. You can email them anytime. It's not like you have to go drive across town for an hour to see your therapist or whatever. So plug in for better help and all the good that they're doing for really anybody, not just pregnant people. I think a lot of times we think of anxiety and mood disorders and stuff like that for prenatal like or postpartum. Like it's postpartum right. when you feel bad, right? Postpartum depression, postpartum OCD, you know, postpartum anxiety. But we don't talk. I mean, we don't talk enough about that, but we don't talk near enough about what happens when you have it when you're pregnant. Right. You know, so I think there's an even bigger stigma surrounding that. And I, so I actually wrote a blog. I had a guest blogger for just like my doula, not the VBAC link, but Tiny mm -hmm. Blessings. And she wrote all about that. I actually, sh we should link in this. Yeah, link your blog. As well. She, like, it's, she's very vulnerable. Like, very vulnerable. <gasps> I need but to go read it. it's amazing. It's amazing what she talks about and just what can happen. Like you said, like, it happens perinatal. Like, it, it does. It just happens during the perinatal time as well. So, yeah. yeah. And it, for crazy. me, it's kind of like the opposite of your Hashimoto's. Mine got, mm -hmm. mine gets very inflamed when I'm pregnant. It tends to calm down postpartum. Although mm -hmm. I was very aware of postpartum potential to be more problematic, but I've done pretty well. But again, I, I do maintain the therapy and all the things I need to do to, to stay well. And one thing I forgot to mention was I wanted to hire a doula and I met with a doula the week before COVID hit and then COVID hit and I wasn't allowed to have the doula in the hospital. And the doula and I did stay in touch a little bit, but, you know, I wasn't able to have her and looking, I mean, it all worked out how it was supposed to, but I, I felt bad because I really would have loved to have worked with her, but yeah, it's such, oh, so we've hard. been feeling it too over here, <laughs> man, that's crazy. Yeah. So if you're struggling right now or ever or have been or know somebody who is go check out the vbacklink.com slash resources, get connected to better help and go read Megan's blog on her doula business page, tinyblessingsdoulaservices.com. She has a blog section there because sometimes it just feels good to know that you're not alone. Yes. Megan, do you want to wrap it up with yeah. the questions? Yeah. Sorry. Can you hear my kids splashing in the bathtub? My oh my gosh. I thought it was mine. It's bedtime right here. And like, <laughs> no. my husband's like, I'm <laughs> sorry, but it's going to be a little loud for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, okay. So we have, yeah, the questions at the end and 
question number one is what is a secret lesson or something no one really talks about that you wish you would have known ahead of time when preparing for birth? Gosh, I don't remember what I wrote. <laughs> you want me? Do you want me to write? Yes. Why don't you read what I wrote and then okay. I will expand on expand it. it. Yeah. So you said advocating for yourself yes. is imperative, which is funny. We actually just did today, actually, we just did a whole episode on advocating for yourself and for your clients. And it says, when it comes to birth, it's important that mother a mother feels educated and empowered to make decisions that are going to impact her and her baby. My VBAC experience was so much better than my C-section because I felt so prepared for all the possible scenarios. Yeah, so I think that in my mind, you know, going in, I had a plan for a successful VBAC and I also had a plan for if that didn't work out and, you know, if I had to have a C-section, that was okay too. But also advocating for every decision along the way to make that VBAC happen, like the, the example of wanting to break my water at seven centimeters. You know, it was okay that I said no. I'm allowed to say no. I don't have to do that if I don't want to. And, and I think we often think hospital policies are laws. I really did. I didn't realize you could yeah. say no. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so nice to say, I don't want to do that. And I don't want an epidural where I feel nothing. I want to feel, you know, I was allowed to ask for what I wanted. And you, you, in my opinion, it's, it's so important to do that. Otherwise, for me, with my C-section, I felt like a, a, a victim of the system. You know, not that anyone was malicious, but it, it wasn't a good experience. Right. Yeah, and it is so important to know that. You just, you really do not have to just say yes and submit to everything that is being offered or suggested. The next question was, what is your best tip for someone preparing for a VBAC? I think I said, and I, I hope this is correct, what I wrote, I think really it's education, you know, knowing what's safe and how to achieve that. And also really, really great providers, a provider that is on your team, not just VBAC tolerant, but VBAC supportive, um, and then support all around you. Because I exactly. think that, you know, without the team that I had, I would not have been successful. And my husband is such a non-anxious person. He really is able to just support me and push me in that direction without being, you know, overwhelming. But he, he told me, he's like, you can do this. Yeah, it's exactly what you said. Educate yourself. I'm yourself with facts. Knowledge is power. And most importantly, having a support of people around you, family, friends, and providers. So I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And yes, your story is going to be as inspiring and amazing. And I don't know, I was going to ask you if you felt comfortable dropping your provider's name because there's a lot of people in your area that don't no supportive providers, but if not, it's okay. Yeah, no, it's Dr. Rachel Passioni at Comprehensive Women's OBGYN. I saw her at the Dunwoody location, but she also has an office in Duluth. She's wonderful. <laughs> well, I don't know if I found a diamond in the rough because she was the only doctor I, I had when I moved here. I just found her mm -hmm. online and then she was off the bat VBAC supportive. So I was nice. under the impression a lot of Georgia doctors were. And then when I listened to your podcast, I'm like, oh, <laughs> maybe I got lucky. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.